Welcome to the What's Your Truth podcast, the show that not only showcases the best of independent artists, but also explores what inspires them, what drives them, and what they consider their fundamental purpose as an artist to be. Today on the show, we have Dale LaDuke. Born and raised in Detroit and relocated to Southern California, Dale is an award-winning songwriter and vocalist known for his vast instrumental talents. A writer across multiple genres, Dale is proficient in guitar, ukulele, accordion, keys, bass, and trumpet, which is pretty damn impressive array of instruments. Um, in terms of bands, Dale was a founding member of SoCal country band Five Wheel Drive, which was a top five finalist in Yahoo's best unsigned band contest. And they were the only group to have songs in six of the top 10 slots on mp3.com that year. Then in 2009, Dale co-founded the American Celtic group Cademon, whose single My Love was a top pick by Music Connection Magazine. And again, this was in 2009. Pretty impressive. And then there's Dale LaDuke, the solo artist. As I mentioned earlier, Dale is an award-winning songwriter and vocalist. His accolades include taking fourth place in the 2006 Unisong Song Contest and being a finalist in the LA Music Awards in 2008, the 2009 Independent Singer-Songwriter Awards, and the 2010 Hollywood Music and Media Awards. He's also been a top finalist in the Jazz Singer category for the John Lennon Songwriter Contest, and his song De Los Angeles from his album Lone Ranger placed very highly in the 2013 IFF World Fest Houston Awards, and also took the Platinum Remy Award that same year. In other words, Dale is a badass. Um, <laughs> currently, Dale can be heard with his Beatles tribute band, The B-Tunes, as well as their acoustic offshoot, Yesterday and Today. Dale also hosts the Therapy at the Roar Room open mics every Tuesday night in Glendale, where you can find the best of local underground talent on a regular basis. And I've been to the Roar Room, and I can say that that is true. It's kind of incredible, some of the talent that comes through there. Uh, Dale is a man that never sleeps, a true professional at what he does, and an artist to the core. It's an honor to have him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Dale LaDuke. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I know you're a busy man, so uh, I appreciate your time. Sure. Of course. Not. Well, shall like we run through Oh, absolutely. Shall we begin? Go for it. Wonderful. So my first question is, how did you decide you wanted to become a musician? Well, um, I wasn't very good at much else. In school, I was a poor student. I wasn't a very good athlete. Um, and ironically, trumpet was my first instrument. I picked it up in the fifth grade and I was usually last chair or second to the last chair trumpet all through junior high school, high school, and into college. Um, and I really didn't discover uh, music that I could make my own until on, on a lark, I joined the choir in high school and found out that I had the best voice in the school. And the, uh, I actually had the lowest and the highest voice in the school. And I, I made the Michigan State Choir as a second bass uh, in my junior year and as a first tenor in my senior year, which I don't think is still to this day has ever been done before since yeah, yeah that's a, that's a big deal man and it, it's interesting too one of the common things that i've noticed and it, it, it's cool hearing your story on this is that 
the a lot of artists it seems like that it wasn't like a straight line from here's me starting and now i know exactly where i'm going with music it's like this kind of interesting crooked path almost like well i'm on trumpet now i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna do that and you're finding out what you what you're into all the way along that's that's really key i think for people to understand is that true that's usually how it goes (laughs) true had i just been just stuck with trumpet music may not have been my vocation because um because i wasn't that great at it even though i still play it to this day and i'm and i'm so glad that i that I have that little extra tool in my toolbox, which is fun. It's fun. But uh, because I began singing a lot, uh, I started writing songs almost immediately and learning piano around the same time. And, uh, and then it just took off, you know, it just took off from there. I got into high in bands and, the usual trajectory. Right. Right on. Mm-hmm. And then what was the first experience you remember having with music? A period? Yeah. Well, my, my father was a traveling salesman. And we crisscrossed the country. Um, I think we lived in 19 homes before I was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and my parents loved music. And so we would, you know, this is, this is the days of Route 66. And uh, so we would cross the country and we would sing. That's what we would do. We would sing in the car. Um, some of my earliest memories is my mom and dad singing, gonna take a sentimental journey, gonna tell my heart at ease, or uh, blue moon, I saw her standing alone. All the, those are my earliest, I was probably five or six at the time. That's so awesome. Well, and it's so cool that you had a family that was nurturing of that. I mean, you know, it's a really interesting thing. I don't know that it directly correlates, but I mean, I'm sure that the more supportive a parent is and the more understanding they are of of music, even in general, that's got to make it easier for you to then spread your wings and do what you do. So that's, again, a common thing I've found with the people that tend to be doing better in it is that it was nurtured from the beginning for the most part. Yes, that's I agree. I would I agree with you as a rule. Uh, My situation was a little different because my parents split up when I was 10 and my stepfather, my next father, Hmm. didn't, didn't like music. Oh. Or he didn't like practicing. He didn't like to hear practicing. So I wasn't allowed to play when he was home. Oh. She had to sneak practicing. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was a, uh, that was not conducive to my growth. Agreed. It wouldn't be. Yeah. But you, you also persevered through it, which is awesome. So that's great. Thank you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, who are the biggest influences on your work and why? Well, I am in a Beatles tribute band. So. <laughs> Presumably the Beatles had something to do with where you are. Yes. Uh, they were probably my biggest influence and still are. Um, there's just not that many examples in history where you can get four young guys that happen to be, well, two of them certifiable geniuses. And um, from a little industrial dockyard, you know, uh, in this little town in blue collar England, um, show up at the same skiffle concert when they're like 14, 15 years old and meet and turns out they're gonna, these two individuals would change the world. Literally, yeah. Literally. And then, just so happens, they knew George Harrison, who is, you know, maybe one tier below them. Uh, and, uh, and then even Ringo, in his own way, revolutionized uh, pop drumming. Just the, the four... the. The four of them together were greater than the sum of their parts, but their parts were unbelievable. Yeah. No, it's true. And I'm glad you put you brought that up about Ringo, about he in a way did revolutionize things. I mean, I, just as a side note, because I, I, I almost I don't get heated about this, but it bugs me when I hear people bag on Ringo. Because I'm like, you realize that if he wasn't there holding them together, they wouldn't have sounded half as good as they did. Because he really was. I mean, he was a metronome first and a showman second, which is so important. But he was also yep. very nuanced and tasteful in his playing. Um, and he really did. I mean, revolutionized. I've never thought of it in those terms, but you're so right. He definitely revolutionized what pop drumming was and what it became. One of the things that he did that the all four of them did is they wrote their parts to the song. Mm -hmm. They didn't play stock parts. None of them did. They wrote parts like a like an orchestrator would, um, especially Paul, but yeah. but all of them to some degree. Yeah. And Ringo's no exception. He wrote drum parts specifically for a specific song. Wouldn't have fit in a different song, probably. Interesting. That's very true, and I've never really thought of that. But thinking back to some of the Beatles tunes, I know you're that's totally correct you you really can't swap out those drum lines they're really unique yeah like they're crafted for that song that's really a, a great point and that's why it's so hard to find a good ringo drummer yeah. <laughs> right. they try to do the stock thing and they try to phone it in and you just can't they have to actually know ringo i don't so, care how good a drummer you are that's your point is well taken exactly a hundred percent yeah so what What's the weirdest thing that's ever inspired you? <laughs> that's a great question. The weirdest thing that's ever inspired me. Well, I mean, I, I'm a fan of all music. Um, Zappa, uh, Mahabishnu Orchestra. I love jazz and jazz fusion. Um, Right now, I have some real favorites on the internet, which are so far removed from what I do, which is Jacob Collier, 
um, is is an inspiration to millions of people now. Um, he's maybe one, maybe he's in the running for the most talented guy on the planet. Hmm. And then there's Justin Lee Schwartz, who's the new kid in town, who might be dethroning Jacob Collier. Wow. Yeah. I recommend both those guys. Look, go down their rabbit hole. You will, they will blow your minds. Jacob Collier and Justin Lee Schwartz. Right on. And I yeah. love too that you're, you know, you can tell that you're very open about promoting other artists too, which I think is also very cool and kind of an underlying viewpoint that a lot of artists miss is like the promoting and helping each other aspect of being an artist and really looking at your fellow artists as fellow artists and not as your competition because it's not really how it works in, in the art world if you're doing it right, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So how has your art influenced other people? Another good question. <laughs> I'm probably not the best person qualified to answer that question. Um, I have a small circle of fans of my songwriting that I have certain songs that are, I guess, loved by certain group of people. Um, but I don't know if any of them have actually sat me down and told me why, what the effect it had on them. Um, I, uh, because I'm a founding member of the Beatles band, we've been together 15 years now. Um, I certainly had an influence on my fellow bandmates. Um, as you probably know, as anyone that's been in a band knows, it may be the hardest thing to do is to keep a band together. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, a marriage of four musicians, which is... <laughs> Volatile. <laughs> yes. Good, good word for it. But so for us to be together for 15 years, it's, um, I consider that an accomplishment and it's, and I attribute it to the personalities of everyone in the group. Right on. Yeah. Good. And then, and that's a great answer too, by the way, I think that's also too something that is easy to overlook that, you know, you, like when I ask this question to people, they tend to think, you know, about fans, people that have heard the music, people that have messaged them saying, hey, this music made this impact. But there is a definite internal influence between you and the people that you create with, you know, and I've experienced that, too, where it's like any band I'm in, I always get something from the guys in the band. I always learn something. I always become influenced by them just by default. You know, I just do. And it, and it's always awesome. So I'm really glad you brought that up in those terms because that's it's an easy thing to overlook. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, art can be a very solitary in endeavor, um, especially other art forms, but even music at time, you know, you spend a lot of time in your room by yourself sure. if you're a musician. And, uh, and we all know, we've all encountered um, narcissism and egos and and if you ever combine that, especially when we were younger, uh, with substance abuse and 
it can it can be uh, really daunting to try to to uh, not let it sh shatter the group. Yeah, shatter your project, explode your project, which you know we all we've all experienced, and don't want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, that's the key thing: is not repeating your mistakes for sure. Right, and so that is that's why it's it's almost as important to find people that share your philosophy on how to get along with each other and how to maintain a business relationship as it is uh, how talented they are. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, in equal measure, I would look for both of those things. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's very well put. I mean, the one thing is too, like, talent can be drilled and taught. You can't really teach a person to have a different personality. <laughs> not really. <laughs> they have to be their own choice to do it. It's not the kind of thing you can you can just drill them through. So you hope that life does that. Yeah, you would hope. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, do you have any pre-show or pre-studio rituals? Um, I... I always have to warm up my voice. As I get older, I have to I have to do pre-warm-ups longer to keep hitting the uh, to keep the range that I have. I tend to sing a lot of the McCartney stuff and the high the high harmonies, mm -hmm. and uh, that's the first thing for to go usually in a voice in a male voice yeah and, and a female voice too probably as you get older yeah i would imagine that's probably the case yeah it makes sense okay so Good. i have i have to uh put attention on uh my diet i can't eat a lot of inflammatory foods like a lot of sugar will uh is detrimental to my vocal cords um you just got to look at it like a like an athlete would absolutely and yeah. i've heard that analogy before it's totally true i mean you're when your body is me yeah you've got to keep it in shape you've got to keep it fit and you really do have to treat it like an athlete would treat their body for what they were doing and i and i learned that by listening to interviews with katie lang and tony bennett and patty labelle they all say the same thing yeah, and it makes full sense. And yeah, I've heard several prof other professionals say that similarly, including my vocal coach before she passed away. Was that was always part of what she said was you know treat it like you would treat an athlete because it is your instrument. Was that Jeannie Diva? It was. <laughs> yeah, I studied with Jeannie. She's the, she was great. I have her warm up CD. Mm -hmm. She's responsible yep. for me doing warm ups. Oh really? Because I never studied with her, but I got a hold of her warm-up CD, and I used that religiously uh, for years. Yeah. Which is funny you bring that up, because that's all, that's exactly what I use when I warm up and cool down my voice, is that CD. On, I was I had a gig on Saturday, and I was doing that and uh, uh, before the gig, you know, yeah. every gig studio, whatever, and it's that stuff's incredible. She was quite a woman. Yes, yes, she was. I, I wish you had gotten to study with her because, man, it was a whole other level. Like, God, she was brilliant. Yeah. But alas. 
alas. Yes. So what risks, if any, have you personally taken for the sake of your music? Other than the obvious, mm -hmm. uh, living a Spartan life. Fair. If you, if you make that, take that fork in the road and decide to do this as a profession, you sacrifice a lot of the, you know, the mid middle class accoutrements that one might have had. Very uh, when I was 19, I was a large press operator in a Chrysler, Detroit Chrysler plant. And uh, I remember all the signs in the factory were 30 years and out, 30 years and out. And, uh, and a lot of my friends, that's what they did. 30 years in the auto factory. When you're from Detroit, that's, that's like the pinnacle. That's, you hit the Holy Grail if you get into the big three mm -hmm. and in the, and uh, you could have a nice life. Uh, but I only lasted a year in the, in the Chrysler plant. And uh, I've happily sacrificed a lot of the benefits for the freedom, what you gain, what you, in exchange for what you lose, you get a certain amount of freedom to live this life lifestyle. So definitely, yeah, yeah. And that's another fantastic point of like, you know, people often I think have a misconception and I mean, I've been this guy, you know, freedom means it's easier. Well, no, it means you got to be more responsible because <laughs> you got more freedom. There's no guardrails, you know? And so, I mean, even as like anyone that does anything is their own business versus going to work for someone. You no longer have the structure of an organization. You have to build that. So it's like, are you more free? Yeah. Do you also have more to do to maintain that? Absolutely. Um, so I just love that you brought that up that way as well. And that's a great message too for people. Like it, it's the fact of it not being easy is actually not incorrect. It's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. If it were easy, you'd probably, you're probably doing it wrong and you're probably not getting where you think you're going. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Right on. That's a very good point. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. what's the craziest risk you've ever seen another artist take for their craft? Well, I've seen some crazy artists. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure it was always for their craft. Um, Fair. Well, I mean, I've, I've had friends that uh, practiced 10 hours a day when they were 11 years old mm -hmm. you know, and all their friends were out, including me riding bicycles and, and uh, tearing up the neighborhood and playing baseball. And, and they were in their room practicing 10 hours a day. And, uh, and of course, by the time they were in high school, they were the hot, um, monsters musicians that everybody wanted to play with right and some of them are still at it some of them are still at it some of some of them aren't but uh i was always in awe of those guys yeah i've known a few guys like that like i knew a kid um uh i don't know if you know if he knew zach banks or no zach banks but uh who he is i know yeah, who he is. 
incredible guitarist and that was what he did as a kid he would literally practice for like six to eight hours a day no fail seven days a week if they were driving somewhere in the car the guitar was in the car with right. him he was actually practicing it didn't matter and oh my god within a few years that kid was such a shredder um right. and a nice really nice guy too but yeah i've seen that and it is it's a sacrifice especially at that age to sacrifice literally your social life. <laughs> That's like everything to a kid, you know? I know. Um, and again, really interesting that you took it there. I've When people answer this question, it tends to be stuff more in your adult years and less in the formative years. And that's a really great point as well, is that sacrifice, young people sacrifice too. And when you know, you know, for sure. That's true. But here, the one thing I did learn from those people, um, I used to, teach at a music school um, years ago and the owner of the school had a plaque above the door and said every great musician practiced 10 hours a day for some two period two year period of his life didn't matter if the two year period was when he was 11 and 13 or 65 to 67. Just need two years. Wow. Two years, 10 hours a day. That definitely seems like it would make a, a musician out of anybody at any instrument if they were really applying themselves to it. So, um, mm -hmm. no, I can definitely see that. And wow, what a, I mean, it gives you a sense. That's the magnitude if you want to be at the top of the heap. And, if that doesn't scare you and if it makes you feel challenged, then you should probably go for it. That's for you. If it scares the hell out of you to hear that, this is probably not your thing. Well, it kind of aligns with that that datum that uh, any professional, any master at any profession needs 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. That's right. So that's it kind of aligns with that. Yeah, and that's exactly what it made me think of is the 10,000 hour rule, 100%. Right. right. <laughs> So Dale, what's one thing about you that would shock everyone to know? I'm the oldest of nine children. Okay. My grandmother was 13 of 18 children. Wow. Holy God, that's a lot of kids. Same two parents. Boy. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> right on. So you're you are into you are from a very big family for sure. Irish Catholics. Mm-hmm. I was gonna yeah. say. Sounds about Irish Catholic. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the one thing or the one tool that you absolutely cannot live without as an artist and why? About 12 years ago, I bought a Kurzweil uh, K6100. I think that's what it is. It's K6100. It's back here. Um, which is obsolete now and you can't find them anywhere, but it has been my work, my go-to keyboard all these years and I cannot find anything to replace it. And I'm scared because it's starting to fail. Oh no. Yeah. It's starting to fail. And, uh, so I'm going to, I'm seriously, seriously trying to find something that would replace it, but it is so, well, especially with the Beatles band, uh, uh -huh. 
it has features that uh, the Kurzweil's don't have anymore. And, um, and I just can't live without. So that's one thing. That's okay. one thing. The other thing is, uh, as you mentioned, the guitar player from the Beatles band and I have an acoustic duo. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually play more. I mean, that's my main gig is our duo. Really? Yeah. We play a lot. Um, it's easier to book. It's a, easier to book an acoustic a duo. That makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Again, that's an interesting look too, though. It's, uh, but funnily enough, I'm kind of getting experience with that too. I've been doing, I'm booking again myself for myself re recently, and it, you're right. It is actually a lot easier to book a small acoustic act than just to book a whole band. There's a lot more places to look for that kind yep. of thing, for sure. Yep. For sure. So what has been the most difficult piece of music for you to create and why? Do you mean write? To write? Whatever, just whatever level of creation, whatever, you know, whatever speaks to you, whatever makes sense to you. I mean, there's certain things in, in the Beatles band that are challenging. Because um, I play a lot of the keyboard and orchestration stuff. <clears throat> And, um, but I would say my most challenging music assignment to date is I sub sometimes for a Sting Police tribute band mm -hmm. and, uh, and have to do all the keyboards and the orchestration, a lot of the orchestration in those mm -hmm. for for those songs and that is that can be pretty intense um it's a good it's a very good band good sting tribute band and faithfully recreate those incredible records yes and uh so i i have spent i have burned the the midnight oil <laughs> learning learning those parts Right on. But it's been really rewarding, too. Yeah. Well, again, that's the whole other level of learning, just duplicating what those guys were doing. I mean, that that's a lesson unto itself, for sure, that you can take and, you know, utilize within whatever you're doing. Yeah. Percent. So here's a fun question for you. If you were going to write a book about your career up to this point, what would you title <laughs> it? <laughs> I am writing a book. Oh, are you really? Yeah. Well, what's it called? <laughs> I, I can't say yet. I can't say yet. Okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a few months away from being able to announce announce it. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it right. is. Well, then feel free to not answer this question because I don't want to compromise <laughs> your uh, any kind of agreements or any kind of surprises that would be. I don't want you releasing things early by any means. So. Um, unless you have an alternate title concept, which you can feel free to voice that if you'd like. Well, it's my autobiography. Oh, cool. Right on. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And then I have two more questions for you. First one is, what are your plans for world domination? They're, my plans are very different now than they were when I was 20 years old. Fair. So they're uh, different than they were 10 years ago. Got that. Yeah. 
I'm going to be 69 next month. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. You don't look at my man, whatever you're doing, it's working. Thank you. Well, my dad is still sharp as a tack and going strong and driving and he's going to be 95 this year. Wow. Yeah. He's That's doing great. Both my parents are doing great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I come from good stock. My grandfather was 98 when he passed. And um, my grandmother, 92. And yeah. What I don't know what they, they smoked a lot and drank a lot. <laughs> and uh, fooled around a lot. So <laughs> they were creep. They were pretty crazy. Um, I just, you know, because I, we already talked about having to pay attention to your health as you get older. Sure. If you want to keep, keep performing, um, that, you know, obviously works in my favor in the long run as well. So right on. Yeah. Very cool. And then my last question for you, and just to revisit the uh, introduction to the show, the show not only showcases the best of independent artists, it also explores what inspires them, what drives them, and what they consider their fundamental purpose as an artist to be. So, Dale, what's your truth? We don't get asked these questions very often. So. I noticed. That's why I started the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did. It's needed. Thank you. Needed. Thank you. Yeah, you're doing a good, doing a uh a valuable service. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, well, the world is a crazy place and it always has been and it's getting crazier. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't think humans are necessarily getting crazier. It's just that the the speed of the particle flow and the communication has accelerated to such a uh, extent that we we get no rest anymore from it. We are bombarded twenty four seven now from all sides, and uh, anything we can do to get people to stop just for two minutes and and just let something come in and wash over them and create a peaceful happy uh, or sad some effect that moves them to tears laughter um, something bigger than themselves uh, I think that's the point of art in general. And we're all on the same team here. Absolutely. And wow, what an incredible, wow, what an incredible viewpoint. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a really important thing, again, for people to hear and to understand and and really take that look of like art is kind of, it's funny. I think it was uh, Kurt Vonnegut that said art is basically what makes the, the living in this world bearable. You know, it's what actually, it's one of those things that just gets you through and it's healing, you know? Yes. Uh, 
when it's really done with the intention to help and the intention to just purely create, you know, I mean, we could talk for hours about art that's been put out there for the purpose of destroying and it's not really art and things like that, but um, you know, but things that are put out there with the purpose of actually like as an artist, what you do is valuable for that reason, you know? Um, and that includes you, of course, Thank uh, you. you've been doing it for a long time too. So that's, you know, mm -hmm be a little cheesy about it. it's a hell of a lot of healing you've put out there into the world <laughs> needs it it does no it does and it needs more more of that and that's a big part of this show is i want people to be inspired to do more of what they're already doing or to start doing it if they if they haven't but they're thinking about it like the world needs more art it really does so incredible way to end the interview thank you so much for your time um before we do end off, I wanted to give you 60 seconds to plug anything you have coming up. Everything Dale LaDuke, fire away. Well, um, I am plugging my new video, which is on my website, We The Living. Um, I feel kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about. I really feel strongly about the issue of gun control mm -hmm. and um, not that I'm against guns. I'm not, I'm not yeah. against guns, but our mass shootings have reached an epidemic level um, that no one foresaw. I mean, it's, it's two years ago, we were thinking it was at an epidemic level and now it's so far beyond that. It happens every, it's like every day. And uh, the song I wrote and the video I made, We the Living, that's on my website, um, daleaduke.com, uh, just addresses that issue. And I'm not saying that I have the answers, because I don't. It's a complex, it's a complex issue. But everybody of good faith needs to recognize that whatever we're doing isn't working on so, on so many levels. And I would just encourage, I just would hope people would go to my, uh, either you, on my YouTube page or my website and just listen to the song and watch the video and just hopefully spiritually somehow we can uh, join each other in solidarity around this issue makes sense yeah and i know that's been a big issue a very um polarizing issue i mean for a long time but especially recently there's it's been particularly nasty so uh i definitely appreciate that sentiment as well of like coming to some term between us all where it's like we're just getting each other's viewpoint and figuring out where to go from here i think that's very needed uh for sure me too so thank you for that and again dale thank you so much for being here my gosh i learned a lot from uh, <laughs> talking to you so thank you for that um and to everyone that's watching this has been the what's your truth podcast we'll see you on the next one later yeah you follow your own rules and you preach them on to me but you don't think before you act and you ain't got no business with me you know no but then what's your truth oh what's your truth now you got down on your